Meeting the people who are making the changes needed to tackle climate change. This is Follow the Leaders on KCLR, funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with a television licence fee. You're very welcome along to Follow the Leaders on KCLR, where each week we hear from people who are leading the way, making the changes necessary to meet the challenges posed by climate change and are working to reduce their carbon footprint. I'm Deirdre Drummy and I'm joined in studio by Robbie Dowling, my co-presenter, and we'll both be with you until seven o'clock this evening. Very welcome along, Robbie. Thanks very much, Deirdre. Robbie, we're continuing our conversations around travel and transport again this week. We're going to chat about the green, sorry, the green school travel flag. Tell us a bit more about tonight's program. Yeah, so a little bit later on, we'll hear from presentation college teacher Una Byrne, who will be explaining to us what the anti cycles campaign is and how it is beneficial for the environment and also for students as well. Ballon National School teacher Bernie Mullins will detail their journey towards gaining the green school's global citizen and travel flag. But first, Carlow County Council's Climate Action Coordinator, Jeanette O'Brien, talks to us about the work being done by the council when it comes to promoting environmentally superior forms of transport. I begin by asking Jeanette to explain what her role within the council entails. So I'm currently the Climate Action Coordinator for Carlow County Council and that's one of a suite of new roles that was created by the central government in order to push the climate agenda down through local authorities into kind of the heart of all the communities that we live in throughout the county and the country indeed. So I suppose it came from the Climate Action and Low Carbon Development Act um, and I suppose what we have to do as a local authority now, we've been charged with reducing our greenhouse gases by 51% by 20 and to be carbon neutral by 2050. So I'll, I'll be coordinating that for Carlow County Council. You know, we'll be looking at our direct emissions, so how we produce um, greenhouse gas emissions to our buildings and our fleet and our behaviour, but also the role entails influencing behaviour change across the county, you know, and, and encouraging others to change their ways as well to reduce greenhouse gases. So it's a very, very broad, very, very broad role. That's very interesting too. How did you get to this stage in your career, Jeanette? Where were you before you obtained this particular role? Okay, well, I suppose my journey with Carlow County Council started over 20 years ago. I'm no spring chicken now, Robbie. Uh, <laughs> I'm around a long time, but I was in the private sector before that. And I suppose I've been through various different departments in Carlow County Council over the last 20 years. So I was in motor tax. I worked in community. I was town clerk in Bagnallstown. I was in library. So with each of the positions, you bring a skill set with you to the next position. So I suppose I was the environmental awareness officer here in environment for several years and loved that role, absolutely loved the role. And then that's where I applied then for the um, climate action coordinator because I just felt that, there's, you know, I can have a bigger impact on the skill set that I had. I could bring with me to developing that role and ensuring that we had developed a, a good, robust climate action plan for Carlo. And what are some of the things that Carlow County Council are doing to tackle the climate crisis? I suppose in terms of local authorities, firstly, I would say that the climate crisis is nothing new to us. It's something that local authorities have been working on for years. So through the environment departments, the climate crisis, of course, has elevated things. And now we realise that every single department has a role to play and every single person in society has a role to play. So I suppose um, one of the things that we've done in Carlow is that we've ensured that climate change is front and centre in all our policies and plans. So say, for example, the county development plan, that kind of sets out the strategy for proper planning and sustainable development for our county from 2022 to 2028. In, in, the current, in that current plan, 
uh, chapter 7 completely deals with climate change and energy which is fantastic so it's a whole chapter all by itself you know that deals head on with the issues around climate change so it's looking at things like renewable energy energy efficiency conservation integrated land use and transport looking at nature based approaches and solutions flood risk management suds and you know the sustainable urban drainage system so it sets out a blueprint for all of us in the county going forward over the next over the lifetime of the plan so I suppose in terms of us here in the, in the Environment Department and in Carla County Council, so our job now is to develop the Climate Action Plan. Okay, so we currently are looking at our gap to target. So where are we now and where do we need to be by 2030 to reduce our greenhouse gases by 51%? And they're the, the gases that we directly produce as a local authority. So again, I'm talking about our fleet management. I'm talking about our building management. You know, so it's Carlow County Council's greenhouse gases that we are producing. So what we'll have to do then is we're putting our plan in place to reduce our gases and support biodiversity in each department. So we'll say, for example, the housing retrofits that people are familiar with. So all of our social housing stock are being um, retrofitted. So you're talking about your doors, your windows, your walls um, to uh, to achieve a higher BER rating. So it's a B rating, you know. Um, and and, and there's a, in fairness to the housing team, there's a lot of that done already. You know, you're looking at the likes of some of the new schemes that will be coming online. So our new schemes are going to be as near energy efficient as possible. And there's some great examples of that up in St Mary's Park here in Carlow, where there was four new NZEB, is what we call development homes, that were built by our housing department. So again, looking at making sure that our new builds are as near energy efficient and producing as little greenhouse gases as possible while still providing a lovely home for families. Um, The other things that they're looking at is introducing things like... um, different sustainable site drainage to our housing schemes, you know, tree pits, swales, rain gardens, all of those nature-based solutions going forward that have zero impact on our environment and zero impact on our climate. So each of the sections, I suppose, in Carlow County Council are taking on different different schemes and different plans. So we'll be looking at things, so we'll be looking at energy measures um, to retrofit our buildings and upgrade them in terms of energy efficiency, changing out some of our fleet to electric vehicles where feasible where possible and even now we're doing things like we recently mounted um, ground mounted solar panels out in Paratown Civic Community Site anyone that visits the site will be able to see them so they are now directly supplying the offices and we're using green energy to run our offices out there in Paratown Civic Community Site and lately people were looking at a new it looked like a new bed up at the Shamrock Plaza area in Carlow Town and it's actually a rainwater garden so it's a nature based solution for dealing with flash flooding you know um, we have recently recently adopted our biodiversity action plan for Carlo. So we have a lot of low and no more areas supporting biodiversity. And even things like the roads department are increasing the use of recycling in their projects. So then they're reducing the need for the importing of the, the bitumen-based products. And um, even novel things like the fire service here in Carlo County Council decided to try water harvesting. And they implemented a very simple water harvesting um, solution for uh, the central station in Carlow Town and they're now saving 25,000 litres of water per year and they're washing their fire engines with them and the lads report that the engines actually have a much better shine uh, because of the, the rainwater is softer of course and then of course we're at the moment developing our green infrastructure policy so we're working 
continuously at the moment and future-proofing as well. Part of what we do as well will be influencing change. So apart from our own direct greenhouse gas emissions that we're producing because of what we do, we're also going to be, and that's what we accounted to 51% for, but we'll also be encouraging others to influence and influencing change. So say through our active travel programme or through green procurement, so the way we buy goods and services, our different funding streams will also be and are climate-proof to make sure that the projects that we that we support are sustainable and have a minimum climate impact. You know, we do our education and awareness programmes, and then we have lots of partnerships. So, say, with the likes of SETU. Um, and then, you know, the Climate Action Fund will be coming soon, so that will be a direct way to support community groups and organisations in, in making improvements to their own area. The other part of it, I suppose, is the decarbonisation zone, and the decarbonisation zone is a an area that each county selects that will be a concentrated effort to reduce greenhouse gases by working in partnership with all of the stakeholders. So for us here, that's Carlow Town. We were very ambitious, and that's Carlow Town, so there will be lots of projects um, happening in around the town over the lifetime of the plan for the next five years. Um, just to say as well that in terms of the Climate Action Plan, we will be starting a pre-draft consultation in May. So I'll be popping up at locations around the county. We'll be outlining the scope of the Climate Action Plan. So, you know, what are our responsibilities as a council in terms of how do we, you know, reduce our greenhouse gases? What are we going to do? But we're really interested in talking to people in our community and looking at talking to them about what is important to them, suggestions and, and issues that they would like to see addressed that's within our scope. You know, so I would say to people to keep an eye to social media on that one and to listen out to KCLR or look at carlo.ie and you'll find out when they're happening. We'll move it on to the Green Schools Travel Flag campaign. Would you be yeah. able to explain to our listeners what it is exactly? Okay, well, I suppose we have to really talk about green schools in general. So what is green schools? And green schools is Antashka and local authorities working together to provide the leading environmental management and education programme for schools in Ireland. So it's for primary schools and secondary schools. In general, there's around 10 flags. So the school will, will get a team to work on. They're working on it over a two-year uh, period, and then there will be an assessment done. So there's kind of something is set out in terms of they all have to have a committee, they have to keep their minutes, they have to have a slogan. So there is a dedicated program but I will say each of the teams are um, produced uh, in a way that can be flexible to suit the demographics of the local school so I suppose you're looking at we look at litter and waste energy water travel biodiversity and then that's looking at the local impact and then they go on to the global so we're looking at how we are acting locally and affecting people across the planet I suppose the ultimate aim of the transporter the travel team is to increase the number of students that are either walking or cycling or scooting or taking the bus or carpooling on their way to school so to reduce their greenhouse gases by looking at a different mode of transport so during that programme you know you have a walkability audit so the school and the students on the green team actively get involved in looking at what are the barriers um, to them finding a more sustainable way to get to school and then looking at solutions and it could be pedestrian crossing, it could be that they have nowhere to store their bikes it could be that they hadn't actually thought about it before and the beauty as well of the travel flag is that it raises another issue and that's idling and idling is when we all sit outside and you leave the engines running for 10 or 15 minutes people don't even think about the effect that that has on air quality and it's quite prevalent around school so you know it's another entity that comes with the travel flag as well so it's really creating awareness around the impact that we're having in terms of the way that we transport ourselves to get to school. 
Why do you feel as though initiatives like this are important at school level? I suppose bringing it in through schools, um, every child will go to school. So every child gets an opportunity to learn about the environment because some people are, are more interested than others or people at home are more proactive. You know, people are, are very different nowadays. They have very different competing priorities and the environment might not be one of them because of whatever situation they have in their home place. So when it goes in through the schools, at least every child is having an opportunity to learn or to be aware or to get the, the fundamental knowledge around the protection of their environment or, you know, how they can change their habits or how their living habits are affecting the air that we breathe or the ground, the soil that we, we, we sow our food in um, or looking at the way we affect ecosystems and how important they are. You know, I suppose in schools as well, it's fabulous to have it in schools because it's delivered in a setting, an educational setting, where the little minds are going in already kind of ready to learn as such so and the schools are fantastic around Carlo I know they are around the rest of the country and Kilkenny but I'm biased I suppose so congratulations to all of the teachers who devote such great time and passion to delivering the Green Schools programme because it's, it's extra work in school and, and they make it so exciting and they make it so accessible and they make it so hands-on you know that the children are learning, you know, in a way, I suppose, that they're hands-on um, and that's something different as well. And there's great connectivity. So if they're looking at kind of litter and waste, they're looking at it in their own area. They're bringing the message home. They become more aware, you know. But, but I just think delivering it through schools, it means that every child is getting access to the information on some level. What do initiatives like this do for young people when they're learning about the environment, Jeanette? I suppose what the green schools do, as I said, gives everybody a basic understanding, you know, through the schools programme. It gives them a basic understanding of what the environment is about and things they hadn't thought of before. So when you're thinking of litter and waste, most of us wouldn't even consider throwing uh, litter on the ground, right? But then when you see what litter is out there or you see maybe kids are in a car, parents are throwing litter out the window. I've heard where kids have challenged uh, parents being a litter bug. So you're empowering the children. You're giving them the basic understanding with a hands-on approach, but you're actually empowering the children. You know, nowadays, kids are under so much pressure about climate change and they're anxious and climate stress for them is very, very real. But the likes of these programmes give the kids a little bit of empowerment because it gives them knowledge. So it, it gives them, a, you know, a method to be proactive and to do something and not just panic. So it, it could be bringing the message home or into the community. I know for me personally, a long, long time ago when my son was in school, that's how I learned about it. It wasn't like my son is in his 30s. There was nothing around environment at the time, but he was coming home and he was starting to tell me that I was putting the rubbish in, in the bin wrong. You know, another day I woke up and there wasn't, we went to go to school and there wasn't a battery left in the house because he was after taking all the batteries out to recycle them in school. And that's how I learned a long time ago about the environment and how I became involved in recycling. So the kids are becoming the teachers. They're able to bring the messages home. And, and again, they're, they're come, they can come together with a programme like this with a shared vision and goal and break it down into achievable sets so they don't feel as disillusioned about climate change. It gives them a viable solution to support positive climate action. Do you feel as though the goal of this is obviously to get children and people generally to understand that there's different forms of transport available to them. Do you yeah. feel as though it's been successful in that aspect? Um, 
I do think if you look at the demographics nowadays, I suppose look at my demographic. Look at I'm I'm Gen X, and we are very set in our ways, and we are very very dependent on our gas guzzling car. You know, um, and I do see a shift in terms of attitude. Say young people in their 30s, young people in their 20s. So I think, you know, the willingness to change is there. We are working on providing alternative routes because it's not, we're a very rural county, say, in Carlo. In Ireland in general, we're very rural. So it could be a case that there mightn't be a safe route for a child to go to school. It might depend on a car. But I think through this programme, they're saying, OK, well, can I share a car? Can you take them to school this week and I'll collect them? Or, you know, that kind of a, an ideal is starting to come into people's heads. Then you're looking at things like uh, promoting it again with the active travel routes so the network of safe cycling routes and then you have the likes of the different campaigns like the Anchi Cycles campaign which is empowering young women to get back on their bike you know looking at introducing so if you don't have a bike introducing bike share schemes or bike rental schemes as well so that you know if they're outside your train station you come out and instead of getting a taxi you might actually because it's a fraction of the cost hop up an electric bike that's going to get you to your destination so I do think that people are willing to change. I do think that, you know, we have an onus on all of us to take responsibility for that change, but also us as local authorities are endeavouring to provide the facilities that people need, like your town bus, or like I say, rental bike schemes, or your active travel routes to support the change that people need to make. Is this particular Green School initiative popular? Because everyone would be familiar with the Green Schools generally, but maybe not this particular strand of it. Yeah, I suppose one of the differences is that local authorities, you know, all the environmental awareness officers and different um, support mechanisms and local authorities work directly with the schools and all of the other teams, with exception, would you believe, of the travel flag. So there's a great lady called Kira Hanrahan and she's the coordinator, the Leinster coordinator, good click any woman, uh, the Leinster coordinator for the, for the travel officers around the country. So yeah, I think myself that the Green Schools, uh, the Litter and Waste flag, of course, as the first flag, is extremely popular uh, because it's the first one and they're learning about recycling and they're learning about reducing and the circular economy in a way that they can understand and there's great gung-ho and it's something, it's a skill that they're going to bring through for the rest of the of the flags. It changes the impact. Um, energy and water, yeah, they're interesting, but I know a lot of the schools love the biodiversity flag. They absolutely love it because I suppose it's, it's culture in Ireland you know we're very much connected to nature as a country um, or war and we're heading back there again with the likes of the All-Ireland Pollinator Plan supporting that and there's lots of great materials out there so yeah, I do think I, I'm not quite sure why the actual travel flag is, it doesn't seem to be as vocal Um I suppose it, the schools themselves, you know, the people in the community will see the difference when they see more kids coming to school or they see a new bike rack or they see a new pedestrian crossing or alternative bollards in place, you know, for them. Um, but I will say with the likes of the the Green Schools programme in general, there's a spillover with the Green Schools programme because the skill sets that they're learning, they're bringing to the local tidy towns or community groups. And also now you have things like the Green Clubs Initiative through the Croke Park and the GAA and they're introducing schemes in sport, which is fantastic, environmental schemes in sport. But the children that are there uh, taking part in, in, in the Green Clubs Initiative are already used to the themes because they've learned them in school through the Green Schools programme. So it's it's just interesting to see how those popular flags and the different thematic approaches are going to be spread now across other non-traditional environmental platforms. 
Very finally, Jeanette, how important is it to educate young people from a local authority's point of view when we talk about battling the current climate crisis? You know, the young people are the future decision makers. So if we want the future decision makers to make decisions that are best for us and for them, educating our young people is critical and educating them in a way that's accessible for them and that they understand and that they enjoy. So the education brief that we have in terms of awareness is very, very broad. You know, you're dealing with lots of different demographics and you're dealing with different abilities. And I think, you know, that we have to be very, you know, we can't do it ourselves. We're very limited in terms of our resources. So we really need to reach out. And we work in partnerships, not just in green, not just through green schools, but also through our community department, you know, and through our environmental awareness officer, Shane Casey, here. So it's not just through the green schools. We're working with lots of different organisations. So, say, for example, Carla Regional Youth Services or Carla Youth Training. We do lots of projects there. But again, I think our message needs to be tailored to suit each particular demographic but we need to create the future that we want to see we need to do it because the children are worried we need to make sure that we empower them so that they have viable solutions they are entitled to the same clean air that we breathe at the moment they're entitled to drink the safe water that we do at the moment but we need to show them how to make those changes happen That was Carlow County Council's Climate Action Coordinator Jeanette O'Brien catching up with Robbie earlier. And after the break, we'll hear from Presentation College teacher Una Byrne who explains what the hashtag AntiCycles campaign is. You're listening to Follow the Leaders on KCLR. Welcome back. You're listening to Follow the Leaders on KCLR. I'm Deirdre Drummy and I'm also joined by Robbie Dowling. Now, Robbie, before the break, we heard from Jeanette O'Brien. And what's up next? Yes, up next, we're going to hear from Presentation Secondary School teacher Una Byrne. She elaborated on the hashtag AnciCycles campaign and its kind of wide range and benefits to the school, to the children and to the environment. Before we got into that, I began by asking Una what the hashtag AnciCycles campaign is. Anti-cycles campaign. There was an inor- and in- basically surveys found that girls don't cycle as much as boys. When we started on our green schools, when we started on our travel flag in 2020, we surveyed, and you'll remember that was COVID times, but we surveyed electronically students and found out that some of our own actually didn't cycle. So when the um, campaign came came up to try and encourage girls to cycle, um, we applied as a school to be one of the 10 inaugural schools in the pilot project and we were successful. And the whole idea is to encourage, to find out the barriers for girls to cycling, why they're not cycling, and to encourage them to do so. And... and what is it like to implement it? How are the actual practicalities of the campaign? All right. Well, we joined the campaign in January 2021. We surveyed students. We found out that they didn't have bikes when they were older. They were more cautious. What we did in school is we linked up with um, other organisations. We organised um, a cycling campaign. So we had... Uh, the Tri Heroes program with Gary Crosen, we implemented that. Um, we had a um, cycle repair workshop with Kira Hanrahan from Green Schools, which was excellent because there's no point trying to encourage girls to cycle and include and boys, and that they can't repair their bikes. And then we applied for cycle parking from Green Schools, which we got because we found that 
um, students would be more inclined to cycle if they had somewhere safe to park their bikes. So in the school, we got that in 2021. So bearing in mind, we began in January. So we we promoted the idea of cycling among the PE teachers and the importance of cycling. When we found out that there was a grant available for non-competitive sports, the PE department then applied and we've got 22 bicycles for the school. And now what we have in the school are healthy, happy students developing the life skills. In PE, they cycle transition year um, have a cycling module where they do duathons and then six years go cycling for their well-being and I suppose Presentation College is ideally situated with its location with cycle paths and with the grounds itself. And when we talk about this campaign there's a number of benefits to it both societally and also environmentally I'd like to touch on them first of all how important are campaigns like this in terms of implementing but also educating young people about the environmental concerns of today they're very important um, students need to see that they, they, they want to do the right thing if they haven't, for example, if they haven't got a bike or they haven't been cycling as a teenager, they're not going to suddenly start when they're in university. What we would like is that there was more cycling availability around about Carlo. There is some. We would like more. Um, in what we can do in school, we can't encourage people to be cycling. We do have a large number that cycle to school, but everybody can't. But we can develop the skills and let them see that it's a fun, healthy, happy exercise that gets them from A to B, it gives them freedom and I suppose our older listeners or maybe put myself into that category, we grew up that we had the freedom of the roads and we could cycle where we like. Nowadays young people don't necessarily have that and the anti-cycles campaign is slightly important because girls tend to be more intimidated on the roads or they're they need more encouragement and they can be put off cycling and they, they are more cautious perhaps than boys often and studies have shown that. So by having a campaign like this where they're encouraged to even mix with students from other schools that are doing the same thing and get ideas um, helps. And that was something I wanted to touch on also. This is obviously not just predominantly but solely focused on girls and young women kind of taking up cycling when they're travelling to and from a place in this case school why is it that there's such a disparity in terms of studies but also in your own opinion between boy cycling and girl cycling the aggression of drivers on the road and the poor cycle paths would be a major negative for girls they found that wearing helmets and their hairstyles, etc., puts them off. Um, but the point that I mentioned in the beginning, they don't have a bike. Or they, the bike that they have is a pink Barbie bike. And, uh, yeah, of, often they just don't have the equipment. And girls tend to like to yeah, cycle with other girls. And so that's what it's, it's absolutely lovely in school, especially coming up around May time, I'd be teaching in a class and I'll see groups cycling around about the school during PE and chatting and cycling and not just girls, boys as well. 
Um, and then sometimes we have people that have never cycled before and they find that they have a love for cycling. That was Una Byrne um, discussing the advantages to implementing the uh, hashtag anti-cycles campaign in Presentation College. And Robbie, moving on now to our final interview of the evening. What's coming up? Yeah, so I spoke with Ballin National School teacher Bernie Mullins about the useful nature of targeting the global citizenship and travel component of the Green Schools programme. The first question I posed to her was to explain how she initially became a teacher. Oh gosh, that's going back a long, long time now. I qualified in 1981. I'm from Galway, from Gort, County Galway. And I taught for a year at home in the lovely village of Kinvara by the sea. And then it was quite difficult to get jobs at that time. And in 1982, I was fortunate enough to get a job here in Ballon. And I've stayed here since. So 41 years later, I'm still here. It's brilliant to see, I have to say. And then how did you become engrossed in environmental causes in the school I suppose because we are going to get on to the Green Schools travel flag campaign as I said but I suppose when you started off all of these things it wouldn't have initially been that particular initiative what what was no, the kind of first actually, step that you took? It wasn't an issue at all really I mean we we taught at the time you know and identifying the trees and identifying the birds and I suppose as um, time went on then and it got into more, I suppose it started off with the litter and people were becoming more aware of all that was being thrown out. And it just gradually seemed to seep in to the curriculum. And then we started to hear about the Green Schools programme and we started to see, you know, some schools had a flag for litter and waste and um, Noel Heflin was here at the time and we started talking and we said maybe we'll um, look into it more. So we did. So we looked into the Green Schools programme and we said, yeah, I think this is something now that's definitely worthwhile doing. And that's how we started off over 20 years ago and we started with the Litter and Waste um, programme. And we found that it was a great benefit and it made us all, apart from the children, it made teachers and the whole lot was aware of just how much rubbish we do create and how much we throw out. And so that was really the the start of it. And I suppose every flag since has brought its own rewards. And yeah, and so now we're on to the travel. But all the flags are of great benefit. And I suppose really the one I really enjoyed, I suppose, most was the biodiversity because I have an interest in nature. Um, but every one of them have brought their own benefits and rewards. And as you say, it's obviously there for the kids, but did it highlight to you as you went on in your career and in your life and also for other teachers and even parents and almost every stakeholder within a primary school that we can do so much more and that these green flags actually, you know, everything was put into a compartment and you could see the different things that would help improve the environment? Definitely, definitely. As we studied each each flag, you know, it, it created, above all, I suppose, an awareness. You know, we'll say when we were onto the water flag, it just created awareness of, um, like, water is not free. And we actually went to Rathvilly to see all the process. And it opened all our eyes, especially the children's, that how much is involved, actually, in creating lovely, clean drinking water, which we just take for granted. And 
now you're very aware of, well, turn on the tap there and letting it run. And there's that's money down the drain unless you're really using it, you know. And as well as that, it created awareness with the children tied into the litter and waste as well in that they started to bring drinking bottles instead of having plastic bottles of water. Most people now make an effort there. And so, yeah, definitely uh, it has created an awareness. I suppose that's the big thing. And people feel that, yeah, okay, in the, you know, that everyone can do a little bit. And little bits do definitely add up. We might say, look, at unless China comes on board and unless Russia comes on board, really, what are we doing? We're only a little, a little dot. But at the same time, we all have to take that first step and every little dot, they all add up and we can just do what we can do. And if we focus on the Green School's travel flag campaign, would you be able to explain to our listeners what that is exactly? Um, well, I suppose the first travel flag we did, it was just called travel flag. So it was just creation awareness again about, you know, the difference we can make by maybe just walking to school, maybe park and stride that you just don't come all the way in the car and that you park and stride. So actually, apart from just, um, it's good exercise, but apart from that, you're cutting down on all the emissions just outside your school gate if all the cars aren't parked there. Um, as well as that, the, the travel at the time we went out, I remember on our first travel flag, we went out to study the village around. Was it... Um, very walk-friendly, cycle-friendly. And at the time, I remember we discovered that actually all our footpaths, they were definitely not wheelchair-friendly, buggy-friendly. And I'm delighted to say that since that, there's been a great improvement because for our next flag, our travel flag, the one we're on at the moment, when we did our walkabout in the village, we discovered that, yeah, there's been great improvements made in that there's kind of little ramps up on the footpaths now and they're... Uh, walk friendly and uh, friendly for parents with their bogies and prams. Yeah, it's to encourage children. I mean, we have several estates around our village now, and it's to encourage children to walk to school, basically, or to cycle to school, or to scoot to school. Um, I mean, I live maybe about 10 minutes away from the school. Uh, now, mind you, it's a, it's a hill in between. And you know, I have to say to myself, what's 10 minutes? I can walk to school. It, it, again, it's create aware, to create awareness and to create awareness among parents as well. Because I suppose often children are relying on parents to actually maybe set that example. Parents will say, Mammy, I want to walk to school today. We're having a wow walk on Wednesday, day to day. And, you know, that's come, the pressure might be coming from the children and the parents come on board and when we do have walk, wow days, walk to school on Wednesday, sow days, school to school, cow days, cycle to school. And you definitely see that um, children and parents make a big effort on those days. So the travel... Now, talking about the flag that we're on at the moment, you'll notice that it's not just called the travel flag, it's actually called global citizenship travel. So the children actually, the committee, the Green Schools Committee actually study the sustainable development goals. And like we have tied in 
those goals, some of those goals tied in with our flag. Like we'll say goal number three, which is good health and well-being. So we explain to the children, well, look, um, apart from helping the environment, you're also helping yourself because it's we need exercise. It's We all know now that how beneficial exercise is for our own well-being. Um, it also ties in with um, sustainable cities and communities. So the children um, look into other countries where cycling is probably more popular than we actually have it here and how they make it, the governments make a big effort to have cycle lanes so it's a lot um, safer. And um, also ties in with climate action, goal number 13. So... Yeah, so the travel flag, as we see, it has expanded. It's not just travel, it's global citizenship. So we're moving outside our own area. And if we look at other areas, we can see maybe, well, what can we do here in our own little village? And why is it of such importance at school level, do you think, Bernie? Well, I mean... We all hope when we're teaching that we're teaching children not just for the moment, that hopefully something will stay with them as they go along. It creates, they become more aware of their environment. And I think we've seen um, how, we say, teenagers and that the difference they can make. They're very aware of environmental issues. And that's starting in primary school. I mean, when I started teaching first we weren't aware of emissions or even pollution to a big extent, you know. But now they've become such big issues and it's very important that the children would learn about them in school and be aware of them and maybe hopefully that they'll make a difference in the future. They're actually going to be, God help them, the ones that are going to be um, dealing with whatever comes down the line with climate change and global warming, you know, so... Hopefully, they'll be able to do what maybe we could have done a lot better. And what do initiatives like this and other initiatives around the green schools do for young people when they're learning about the environment, do you think? Do you think it makes them, as you said yourself, a lot more aware than maybe just being taught as they normally would in a classroom? I I do. I I think it does. Um, Because I would meet some of them now... (laughs) that have gone on and actually coming back training to be teachers. And and they would say that, yeah, what, what they did in green schools was definitely made them open their eyes and some of them went on to be green school members in their in the secondary school, when they were in secondary school. So definitely, and I think as well as that, um, okay, maybe they lose it for a while, but I, I think it comes back definitely. And as I say, it's such a big news item at the moment that I think they just listen all the more now that they hear about it and they, they're very interested in the facts, like when we were doing the marine flag and they learned about that terrible, the Pacific dumping ground, you know, that's just full of plastic. And it's actually, you know, it's very sad and it, it does affect them. They they do take it on board. And you mentioned it there that the idea of this particular flag is to try and get children, particularly walking, scooting or cycling to school. 
do you think it has also helped in highlighting the alternative forms of transport for kids that they actually realise that there's more to getting from A to B than just a car? Yes, definitely. Because... You know, it also includes um, carpooling, so we try to encourage that, that maybe it's children that are a distance away from school, that maybe if there's more than one family coming the same way, that they would carpool. And as I said, the park and stride, that they'd park away from the school and come. And also, definitely the cycling and the scooting. Scooting now is one that um, has definitely improved. We wouldn't have seen a whole lot of it, but... um, with our travel officer, uh, Lucy Murphy, she's come to the school now over the last two years and we've done, she's done different scooting activities with the children. That it's not, yeah, it, it has made a difference. So I see little younger children that maybe are too young to cycle on their own, they're coming along on their scooters. It definitely does um, open up other possibilities of different ways to travel to school and the both, of course, the children that are live a distance away they can come by bus so yeah and it's also when they're studying it they just you know the reason why it's good to go on a train and to go on a bus maybe to Dublin instead of taking the car and they're aware of well one bus instead of 40 cars is much better so it definitely does highlight uh, to the children different modes of transport That was Bernie Mullins chatting about the Green Schools initiatives undertaken by Ballin National School there chatting to Robbie. And Robbie, that I think brings our travel and transport topic kind of to a close. Um, And we've heard from our three guests and over the the course of the last three programmes, we've been talking about electric vehicles, cycling and obviously then the Green Schools initiative with the schools there this evening. What what have been the learnings or takeaways that you've taken from the last couple of weeks? It's a good question. They're kind of there's a lot of them, Deirdre. I suppose just focusing on what we've just heard this week, the fact that education of young people seems to be the absolute cornerstone of battling the environmental crisis. I would say. Yeah. Um, I think Jeanette alluded to it. I also think maybe Bernie mentioned it. Also, you know. Ultimately, it's going to be a thing that we're doing as of right now and it has to happen now, but it's also going to be going forward as well. And while there are still, and Jeanette also said this, there's maybe a certain cohort of people that are unwilling or hesitant to move on and to try and put new things in place to support the environment for whatever reason that may be. Young people are almost going to have to entirely be pro environmental improvement because if they're not we're in serious serious trouble in the future so I think that's something that I learned from the interviews today in terms of the last three weeks generally obviously I learned a lot and just in terms of the practicalities I mean electric vehicles they're costly yes but are they worth it in the long run without a shadow of a doubt and I think that was something that I learned from um, yeah there was some great information yeah, in those interviews Tyke Madden Andrea Dalton and I think you know, for people maybe that are unsure, I'm almost one hundred percent certain that they must have sold the idea that it is something to at least look at, and I think yeah, that's a that's a the sort of yeah, I think yeah. that's a positive improvement with it, and different forms of transport. As I said to you last week, and you asked me about whether I would ever cycle myself, it's certainly something that I'm looking at and trying to do a lot more because it was always about getting in the car and getting there as quickly as possible, but 
you know at some stage you do have to make a decision and what's best for you yes but also what's best for everybody as a society again not just right now but also going forward and you know it's not sustainable what we have been doing over the last you know 50 60 years whatever it may be and as bernie says there can we carpool can we get on a bike can we find different ways of getting from a to b that that's the sort of yeah and that's it has sort of posed that question and i think that's the biggest learning and the biggest takeaway i've got from the whole experience of the last three weeks really yeah and also i think as well to remember back to um i think it was last week where we were talking about just the general getting out in the fresh air the social aspects exactly. as well as the environmental aspects to it and as the interviews this evening would have touched upon as well do you know it's tying it back into the health benefits of the the getting out there walking to school or walking to work or wherever it may be um yeah. robbie just to move on then to next week, we're going to be moving into a new topic of food and waste. What have we got to look forward to? Yeah, so we have a lot to look forward to, obviously, as you say, rightfully, it is a new topic. It'll be the topic for the next three weeks of the programme. What we have to look forward to, again, is I suppose travel and transport is something that we're all kind of a lot aware of in a sense and it was just reinforced over the last three weeks and while it was educational I think it's something that a lot of people know of but maybe had to be reminded about when it comes to food and waste I think certainly from my own point of view and I'm sure a lot of people listening in would agree with me that we don't know as much so I caught up with uh, environmental activist Molly Aylesbury and here's a little bit of a promo of what she's going to speak about next week So I think there was a really scary statistic a couple of years ago, which is like 97% of clothing um, ends up in landfill. um, And the majority of that hasn't even been worn once. Um, So yeah, because it's very cheap, so people don't feel the need to wear it and wear it out. I think we'll probably get uh, some great information from the next round of interviews again. uh, That and a lot more to come next week from 6 to 7pm as we continue our journey with local people who are making changes to their daily lives in the effort to help the climate. A big thank you to all of our guests this evening and thanks to you for listening. That's it from Robbie and myself. Stay tuned for Fully Loaded with Shannon Redmond coming up after the 7 o'clock news. Follow the leaders, meeting the people who are making the changes needed to tackle climate change. A KCLR production funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with a television licence fee.